Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters, a podcast produced by WUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. This podcast is the first in a series of podcasts on the topic of virtual and augmented reality. If you explore literature on that topic, you'll find many articles proclaiming it as a future for education and yet other examples of how it's been deployed in learning situations. Noticeably absent from those stories, however, is the process through which the practical problems that people identify are translated into ideas and then addressed through advanced yet very accomplishable technology solutions like virtual and augmented reality. The guest list for this podcast is an eclectic group, at least until you hear the entire story behind uh, what took place recently on our campus. Dr. Patty McSteen is the Associate Dean of Students and Director of the Margaret Boyd Scholars Program at Ohio University. Detective Rick Sargent is with Ohio University's Police Department and has had involvement with several campus initiatives, including the Survivor Advocacy Program. And then finally, John Bowditch is the Director of the Gaming Research and Immersive Media Lab and one of the Chief Architects of the Immersive Media Initiative in the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Welcome to all three of you. Thank, Thank you. Thanks. Um, as I mentioned, what I want to really learn about and talk about in, in this episode is the process through which you go from having an idea that you think could be a good ARVR idea to then getting it in the hands of the technical experts that mainly is in John's shop. And so, Rick, I want to start with you because I think as I've heard the story behind what took place on campus, it kind of started with you and some OUPD officers that got some exposure to the ARVR technology in the GRIP lab and you sort of coming up with some ideas. So can you talk about sort of the situation in which you experienced it for the first time and then just go through the thought process of how you said, oh, that's something that we could use? Sure. Well, one of my responsibilities with Ohio University Police is uh, when the Board of Trustees has any of their meetings, we have a couple of our detectives that uh, will uh, assist uh, shadow the, that group. And when the trustees go to different uh, campuses, uh, they get some exposure to some of the best and brightest students. There's a presentation that is that is given. And in January of 2017, the, the Board of Trustees uh, had their meeting here on Athens campus and uh, had uh, an opportunity to see Scripps College and the Grid Lab and uh, we're exposed to a lot of different uh, immersive media things. And since I was there with them, I, I got <laughs> to put on the headsets and, and tag along. And uh, it quickly became uh, pretty impressed with the technology. It's not something that I'm familiar with. But I got to put the headsets on and see uh, how you could be moving through space and uh, just kind of, uh, again, being immersed. Um, while we were uh, walking through there, I, I made some contacts with, with John Bowditch and, and Eric Williams and Anthony Zicola uh, with the Grid Lab. And I, I said, you know what, I, I've got some ideas and let's see if we can, can we schedule a meeting? Mm -hmm. And uh, that led to uh, a sit down where I said, you know, I, I have some ideas. I've got in, in previous uh, uh in a previous life, I was in, in involved with other things uh, in, in terms of training and things like that in, in the private sector. Uh, I've always been uh, interested in trying new things and being creative with that. Um, so, you know, we sat down and, and I said, I think that this technology uh, is something that can be applied to law enforcement. 
because what's out there or what is readily accessible uh, is not something that uh, really resonates with people when, when you're training. Um, the types of uh, things that are out there now is, is either media that's projected onto a screen and you react to it, things like active, active shooter, active killer situations where uh, you have to react to what's on the screen and it's a, it's a, a brief scenario, uh, or even going back to the old school days of, of sitting down and, and doing role play with uh, you know index cards and, and uh, those types of things just really, um, they're outdated. Mm -hmm. So um, that led to, you know, again, sitting down and saying, hey, I've got these ideas about, you know, remember the old choose your own adventure books where mm -hmm. you could go through a space and you could react to a situation and then choose the direction that you wanted to go. That was the initial idea that we had. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, as we were saying, okay, well, this is what's available. And, and, and I'm sure John can speak to this about what the limitations are. Um, it just became apparent that, that we can do something different. And it's, and it was exciting. So eventually, you and Patty started talking to each other, and I don't know how those dots got connected. Right, right. Um, so Rick and I work pretty closely together with behavioral intervention, threat assessment type situations. Um, and do you want to explain what that is yes, before you go? Yes, right. So um, the primary, one of the primary responsibilities in my job is to lead uh, the university's threat assessment team, which we call the Student Review and Consultation Committee. Um, over the course of about 13 years, we've had this group that has addressed uh, students of concern across campus. Um, and so it's kind of a multidisciplinary team that gets together every week that includes uh, the police department, the counseling center, our uh, conduct office, residence life, uh, different folks across campus. So that's where we connect dots quite a bit with students of concern uh, across campus. Um, and so one of the things that um, over the 13 years that I've been doing that particular job, we've learned that the number one referral source comes from residence life, which makes a whole lot of sense, but that the second comes from faculty um, who you know, kind of become aware of students that they're concerned about. John and I have had interactions in the past about this. Um, so that's kind of how we we pretty talk on a pretty regular basis, mm -hmm. uh, daily or weekly, if not with Rick, with another one of his colleagues in the department. Now, Patty, yeah. did you did you know about the Grid Lab and, and the stuff that they were doing before Rick brought this up to you? I did not, yeah. no. I mean, I'd read articles when they're in the Compass, yeah. um, but never had I stepped foot inside. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. so that was really so. So both of you were sort of bringing this idea of, um, you know, maybe some sort of a behavioral situation mm -hmm. that really is more focused on the faculty member side of things. Am I right that you haven't done anything with the residence hall simulation yet, or is it? it well, or? we we record we filmed and kind uh -huh. of produced one small little piece oh, okay. that we thought was going to kind of be a pilot, right, to see mm -hmm. how it would work and would it work in the right scenario. Mm -hmm. Initially, one of the things that, that we, we recognize is that uh, when you're training, uh, you need the repetitions mm -hmm. uh, of doing things, uh, doing things the right way and in a controlled setting. Uh, in law enforcement, putting somebody into a dangerous situation is, is a mm -hmm. very, uh, it's a risky situation. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
if we could give people the repetitions that they would have in a dangerous situation, whether they're dealing with an active killer or if they're dealing with a, an emotionally disturbed person, uh, that's not something that you can simulate very mm-hmm. easily. And and when when we saw what the technology was, we said this is a, a great opportunity to put somebody into a, a scenario, uh, have the technology something that is really resonating with them, and make it something that uh, is memorable mm-hmm. and, and a teachable moment, and it's and it and it, it can be replicated. Mm-hmm. So every person that puts on that headset is going to experience the same thing, and not just a scenario in a classroom with somebody reading off an index card. That's a peer that you really uh, would feel something more than mm-hmm. just sitting in a class. Mm-hmm. That so th- yeah, that makes sense. Maybe this is a good time to have one of the two of you or both of you at the same time talk about what the scenarios were that was created. Then I'll shift over to you, John, to talk about some of the ways that you got there. Yeah. So the first scenario that we did, uh, so kind of following up with what Rick said about the repetitions, when we were having our conversation, one of the things that I noted was that's the same with RAs, Mm -hmm. right? So you get an RA who's maybe going to be in that role for a year, two years. And until they become comfortable addressing students that maybe are having emotional difficulties, um, they're really kind of unsure about themselves. And so there was this connection that, yeah, same with RAs, with law Mm -hmm. enforcement. Um, So we thought part of their training is this kind of behind closed doors scenario where they, you know, role play with index cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the first idea that we had was, could we do this and somehow help our in-hall staff mm-hmm. um, get there? So um, do you know how we, did we? Sure, so in the, in the summer of uh, 17, when we sat down, we said, okay, well, what, what can we get? How can we come up with something? What's our proof of concept going to be that uh, gives us a bang for the buck to, to see if what ideas uh, would work? We came up with uh, a, a scenario where there was an emotionally disturbed person in a residence hall. And we had a couple of uh, iterations. Our, our first run at this was completely scrapped, not because it wasn't good. It was just we, we thought it could be so much better. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't good. It, we've, we learned a lot, and let's, yeah. let's just say that it was a, an eclectic group, again, uh, with, that involved uh, you know, residence life. Uh, our department, we had uh, the folks from the Grid Lab, uh, actors uh, from the university, uh, all getting together and, and working on it. And, uh, and again, it, it didn't work out at first, but uh, that evolved into our second iteration that involved mm-hmm. just a single student in a room. Uh, where we, you know, we came light years from where we were in the fall of 17 and and then filmed again in uh, 2018. Right. So we took kind of some examples from real life scenarios that we had been, you know, addressing over the last 13 years Mm -hmm. um, and um, had the students. I think one of the parts that was really exciting for us was having the students involved Mm -hmm. because there were students who had been uh, RAs, and they were like, oh, this is how this will play itself out. Mm-hmm. So having that real live input was really helpful too. Um, so we kind of came up with the scenario and then had some of the, were it some of your graduate staff, mm-hmm. John? Yep. Um, who yeah, were, Kelly Blosser and Josh Crook, yes. MFA students. Mm-hmm. Right. So they kind of all contributed to this 
you know, scenario that they thought would would make for a good take. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really I thought it was really fantastic. You know, the final version of it. So so with that overview in mind. So, John, an assistant dean of students and a university detective walks (laughs) into your office. You immediately think you're in trouble. right? That's right. (laughs) But, you know, when they say, look, we have this concept Tell me about the process, you know, when that initial conversation happens, how do you walk through to the stage where you're actually doing the first draft of the filming? And then maybe, as they said, you have to revise it and go forward. I mean, what's that process look like? Well, I think we originally or initially just assess whether or not it's a good team, right? So this is kind of a a weird mixture of people, but honestly, like, most of the grid lab projects in the past that have been wildly successful are made up of teams like this. Mm-hmm. Um, the grid lab, we're, we're not subject experts in anything other than uh, VR development, game development, uh, content creation. Um, and so if we were to do some project like this on our own, it would probably be um, kind of too Hollywood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it wouldn't wouldn't actually, I think, be a useful tool um, to to people getting trained. Um, and, and we really just look at, one, if this is a good idea, two, who are the people that we're going to work with, and three, do we have the resources? And uh, we've been really fortunate over the last few years um, to be uh, spending against an award we got from the Office of Research here um, called the Innovation Strategy Funds. Um, and so we're able to kind of pilot, pilot a lot of projects like this to see if there's any traction. Mm-hmm. So. In this particular project, um, you s- so I know in working with you that you all have come up with a term called preality. Yeah. And then you started referring to projects like this as being Cine VR. That's correct. Can you talk about what both of those terms are and then maybe think about how this project that you did with, with Patty and Rick sort of helped you, you know, understand these concepts in more detail? Yeah. So preality is uh, basically a combination of two words. Um, kind of like a prepare and reality. Um, and it's really designed to kind of get someone acclimated with a space before they actually go there. Uh, so we coined this term after working with Grant Hospital in Columbus. Uh, we recorded uh, every trauma that came in on a Saturday night um, in July, I think. It was actually kind of a slow night, unfortunately. It was really, really hot outside, so no, no people were out causing violence. So. I don't know, maybe that's an upside to global warming. Um, and so it was really designed to capture this space so that medical residents could then experience it before they go into their rotation and have to kind of figure their way around. Uh, a typical medical resident may only be in the trauma bay for six weeks. And if they're not acclimated to that space, they will spend half that time just getting kind of situated. And so this was really designed to kind of um, give them an experience before they actually went into the real experience. Um, so that's where the term preality comes from. Cine VR is a term that we're trying to coin. Um, it really refers to virtual reality video, also known as 360 degree video. The easiest way to explain this, if you're sitting on your couch and you're watching television, um, it's about a 30 degree field of view. It's actually, I mean, regardless of the size of your TV, it's about 30 degree field of view. With virtual reality video, it's 360 degrees. It's a full circle, both horizontally and vertically. And it gives us the opportunity to create a lot more space. You know, you could argue that watching on a television is somewhat subjective. You're only seeing what the director and the editors want you to see. 
we're still doing that somewhat, but we give the user the ability to look around at all different things. So in this RA experience, you're, you're making eye contact with the person experiencing emotional distress, but you're also looking around assessing for dangers in the room. Um, prescription drugs, weapons, uh, kind of a remarkable thing. We had a, we had a handgun between you and the person that was experiencing the distress. And I would say seven, 10 people did not see it. Hmm. Um, and so every, every police officer that we showed it to were like, yeah, there's a gun right there. Um, but you know, the students that were RAs didn't necessarily pick up at that on that at first. Mm-hmm. So how, um, so, so now we fast forward in this, um, this, um, scenario has been created by the immersive media team. How's it been used so far? And how do you, the two of you, meaning uh, Patty and Rick, see that it could be used in the future? Right. So we haven't used it with actual residence hall staff yet. Um, it's just a very quick five minute. Is it five minutes? Yeah, it's about yeah, five it's minutes. About five minute um, take. Um, and I've used it actually, I teach a course uh, at the graduate level on behavioral interventions. And I've mm-hmm. used it more in that scenario um, to help um, these are emerging student affairs professionals um, who are learning how to do what I do, which is address students that they're concerned about on their campus. And mm-hmm. so we kind of used it in that scenario because many of those students haven't had that face-to-face, hands-on experience with a person who's experiencing that level of distress. Mm -hmm. So we haven't fully implemented into the residence life training just yet, only because of there are 300 plus RAs uh, who go through a pretty rigorous training schedule. So it really was, um, you know, when we were creating it, thinking this is kind of a pilot Mm -hmm. to see, is there something to this? Will this work? Is this reasonable? And so the feedback that I've gotten from the graduate level uh, staff, students and staff who have seen it, have been, this is really good, this would be very helpful. Um, So I think our next step is to then start working with our residence life staff Mm -hmm. um, in kind of immersing some RAs. But, you know, part of the concern that I have is, is this gonna scare away Mm. RAs, right? Yeah. Um, There's definitely an emotional reaction that people have because there's a lot of external uh, stressors that we added in, whether it's sound and all mm-hmm. of the visual things. Um, and so I want to be thoughtful. You know, one of the things that John shared with us is the research that talks about the impact that this mm-hmm. type of experience has on people. And so I want to be thoughtful that we're not traumatizing hall staff. While yeah. we want to train them well, yeah. I, I want to be very thoughtful about what we're doing. Um, yeah. So Now, have both of you seen the scenario? Oh, yes. We were there when everything has been filmed. So we've really uh, loved the the opportunity to really uh, be a part of of everything. And uh, I I can't say enough about about, uh, John and Eric and and the students that that they've worked with. Uh, You know, they haven't just said, oh, you guys had a great idea. Now just go over there and stand in the corner, which sometimes we did. But It was it was nice to to be a part of this whole collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What so Rick? What was your like when you actually watched the final product and had the headset on? You know what were what were you feeling? Because I mean, you you saw it being done, but I mean, what did it feel like when you're actually seeing it as a final product? It was something that that kind of blew me away. Uh, just in the fact that uh, it was something that is a, a creative outlet. Uh, I'm not in a in a profession where a lot of creativity is is warranted 
mm-hmm. you know, the, the things that I deal with and the stresses that I deal with uh, really have nothing to do with video production or anything like that. But it was a great outlet uh, to to do something different, and, and that, I think that's what uh, what really struck me mm-hmm. uh, and seeing something that uh, is a collaborative team effort. Um, it's always rewarding. John, I know I've heard you say before that especially the, the pre-reality part of all of this and then what you've already done in terms of collecting, you know, assessment data from, you know, various projects that you've worked on, that there really is a visceral emotional reaction to these. Um, what, what do you think the eth- – I mean, I, I heard what Patty said about not wanting to scare <laughs> off, right? Yeah. And so – I mean, what are sort of the ethical dilemmas that you face as a content creator? Because you can really create a pre-ality that um, is very, very scary, um, very uh, traumatizing. Um, and, you know, on one hand, you're wanting to train people to recognize that those are possibilities. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, you know, it, it is sort of a worst case scenario. How do you balance all of that? It's tricky. Um, I don't know if I really want to be asked about ethics by my dean, but um, <laughs> but uh, I'll try to approach it. I mean, like it's tricky in the fact that um, you know we we are actually going for dramatic effect, mm-hmm. um, and so some of the earlier experiences some of our students have created, like we did one scenario called Breaking Bad News, where you're basically taking on the role of a physician and you're having to tell um, parents that their child was was lost. Um, and so we, we thought this would be like a good educational tool, but we were finding doctors coming out of it in tears, hmm. right? And so um, we learned very early on that you have to kind of set it up properly and there has to be some element of debriefing at the end. Um, and, and it's, I mean, it's a really powerful medium primarily because you can't look away, mm-hmm. right? When you're, when you're watching television on your couch, you can look at your phone, you can have a conversation with someone, you can stuff your face, right? Uh, when you're in VR, that is the only um, visual and audio, uh, audio senses that you're going to be picking up. Um, and so it's, it's really powerful. It can also be weaponized in many ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, we're worried that uh, we haven't thought through all of the possibilities of what it could do to people. Um, mm-hmm. That's something that we are actively looking at. Um, from an educational standpoint, some of the projects that we've been working on with nursing and HCOM, the Heritage College of Medicine, um, have shown that this medium is exceptionally good for retaining information um, by a f- factor of almost like 10 to 15% better than mm-hmm. other forms of training. Uh, so that's that's a really promising thing, and we're going to keep looking at mm-hmm. scenarios like that. Patty, you've already used this in your class, um, but now that you have sort of been from stem to stern through the process of creating it and knowing what's involved in it, have you thought about other ways that as a teacher you might want to utilize this as a teaching tool? Yeah, actually, um, the second uh, project that we did, I think, speaks to that a little bit more. So the second project we did was to help train Uh, TAs, Mm -hmm. teaching assistants and graduate assistants, how to manage difficult classroom scenarios. And young teachers. Pardon me, and young, yeah, Yeah. and new new faculty. Um, And so that has kind of been an interesting, um, as kind of our second highest referral rate is coming Mm -hmm. from people in the classroom. Um, But as far as the training in the classroom as a tool, um, the one class that I taught, I think that it had great impact. And the students 
actually came away with feedback. It was almost a pilot that mm -hmm. when I showed it to them to get feedback from them. Um, and they had all kinds of ideas. These are, you know, people who are going to be coming into the student affairs profession, you know, shortly. And they talked about it as a training tool when they're training staff who might work in a campus recreation department or in a campus involvement center or a university, you know, student center. Mm -hmm. um, so they they saw a lot of application, uh, how they would, you know, mentor other students and teach student employees. Um, so there was... I thought there was a lot of good feedback from that. Mm -hmm. um, the second piece that we did, which was again uh, addressing how to um, how to have how to manage difficult classroom situations, I thought had some really interesting um, conversations that have come from it. And yeah. actually, we've done that one though. quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a bit. We've yeah. done that probably five times, five or six times, mm -hmm. and have gotten different feedback each time we've presented hmm. it. Yeah, like um, polar opposites in some cases. Like some some people empathize with the student, yeah. and like the student was absolutely right to yell at the professor. Right. And the other groups might say, no, no, no this student is completely out of control. Like the professor um, is the victim here. Hmm. So, um, so the part that I really liked about that is it just really shows how important the post-viewing conversation is. Mm -hmm. And I think it really is a great, you know, starting point to have these conversations about, well, what was, what was good about this? Or what would you have done differently? And I think that that's where you really see rich conversation happening in the kind of a classroom setting, is yeah. that they dissected and talk about it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what I, hearing the both of you talk about that, until you get into Rick's realm where there's laws that say a line has been crossed and you are doing something that's illegal, dangerous, or, you know, places yourself or others at harm, that's a different story. But, yeah. you know, like on my level and, and Patty, your level, and John, you as an instructor, we're oftentimes dealing with gray areas of, you know, there being some sort of a disagreement between a student and a mm -hmm. student or a student and a faculty member and mm -hmm. you can never truly recount that situation, but yet we have to make decisions on it. But I think that mm -hmm. realistic scenarios like this helps people regardless of their situationality in that, in, in that you know, hierarchy or, or lack thereof um, to sort of understand that there are different perspectives on things. Um, Rick, um, have you thought about other applications that you would like to see this technology used for? Well, absolutely. There's, there's, uh, the sky's the limit, really, yeah. when it comes to, to this. One of the things that I think is is important, uh, just with our within our, our program that we're running here, is is that we're giving people that are viewing it an opportunity to see maybe a behavior that they should be reporting to mm. somebody further up the food chain, mm -hmm. to the point where uh, it doesn't. Uh, lead to a, an active threat type mm -hmm. of thing where we can get to somebody uh, after a referral, we can do a threat assessment. We can, we can kind of see if there's some underlying issue that we can get them help for. Um, so that's, that's an important point. The, the next phase of this is, I mean, yeah, this, the sky's the limit in terms of just training in general uh, and having this technology just be that next step uh, because there are people that are doing similar things, but it's, uh, you know, you're still interacting with a cardboard cutout. Yeah. Uh, but in this situation, it, it, it we're really limited by our creativity and the uh, the number of, uh, of scenarios that we can put into a, a library, per mm -hmm. se. 
John, just to kind of close things out, um, <clears throat> you know, the current state of the technology, as, as I understand it, is that you can create very realistic, um, you know, produced scenarios where there's an actor that is, you know, engaging in behaviors that you're trying to train about, just like we've described here. Um, there's some possibility for simulated interaction where you can have the person essentially recount what they should be saying in that situation, but it's not yet truly interactive. Where do you think that this technology will progress to in the short term, meaning like in the next you know, year to year and a half? Because I think that the long term, you can just start to go Star Trek on it, right? Yeah, right. Um, but, but where do you think the realistic next steps for this technology lie? I think you're going to see a lot more integration with artificial intelligence. Um, and we actually have a lot of students that are, that ex are experimenting with that now. Um, so right now, when you're watching these experiences, it's somewhat passive uh, with the exception of what we're calling guided simulation. Um, I, I call it karaoke VR. I think that's just more understandable. But basically, we are giving um, the, the user some lines to read out loud, and it kind of just reinforces like them being a part of that experience. Mm -hmm. The, the next layer to that, next level of that is um, have that experience dynamically react to what you say. Um, and to be honest with you, we're calling it the FU test right now. If you can, if you can cuss at, a, um, at an AI or get upset with it and it responds kind of in a way that seems intelligent, you know you're on to something. Um, and so we're, we're, we're experimenting a lot with uh, IBM's Watson and mm -hmm. integrating this into our um, into our projects. We're also looking at the ability to swap out facial, facial expressions. All right, so you record these actors performing a different uh, specific scenario, but we might record it 10 different ways. Mm -hmm. And depending on how the user gives feedback, it might switch up what facial expressions they're making. Um, so it's all about really making it more intelligent as we go forward. Um, and, I, and I think you're gonna see a lot of progress uh, uh, with that in the next year or two. So basically you're saying you just sit around cussing at computers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. No, it, I, I don't really expect a response, but yeah, that's a typical day. Yeah, so it's, not, it's not like you're, you know, your you're, uh, co-workers that you cuss at. That's right. So I, I listen to the three of you. Um, first of all, thanks for doing a great project. And I think that, you know, as I've heard about how it's been used by our teaching assistants and just the nature of the collaboration that all three of you did to create this, um, you know, congratulations and thank you for, you know, the two of you having a vision and John, you working with them to pull it off. I think that it's a great example of how, you know, this technology that does require some expertise can be deployed in ways that have real impact, you know, for people. So thanks for a sure. lot for being on the yeah. program and talking about it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank thanks. you. My guests today were Dr. Patty McSteen, Rick Sargent, and John Bowditch. Be sure to check back for the second podcast on this series on uh, augmented and virtual reality, where we'll explore the student learning opportunities available for students in a variety of fields who develop skills in production surrounding this type of media. You'll also hear um, additional commentary and insight on where this technology is going. Uh, I don't know that we necessarily get into a lot of the uh, the weeds in terms of how you create it, but I think that you know one of my goals for this series was that people listening to it could start to think about how this technology could be deployed in a variety of situations. And I think that 
what what we heard today from the three guests, as well as what we hear from the students uh, in the next uh, podcast. We'll give you some insight on that, and I hope you'll find it uh, productive. Thank you for listening to Teaching Matters. This program, this podcast, is produced by WOUB Public Media. You can always listen at woub.org backslash listen. We're also available through all of the popular podcasting apps. You can contact the staff of the podcast with ideas, questions, or comments through our Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search for Teaching Matters Podcast, and you can find us there and direct messages or send us a note. Our audio engineer and associate producer is Adam Rich. I'm Scott Titsworth. Thank you for listening.